This is a Journal of Animal Ecology podcast. In this podcast, I'm speaking with Frank Lazor from the Cornell Lab of Ornithology at Cornell University, who recently had a paper published in the British Ecological Society special issue on citizen science. Welcome, Frank. Hi, thank you. It's great to be here. So your paper is entitled Phenological Synchronization of Seasonal Bird Migration with Vegetation Greenness Across Dietary Gills. Can you tell us a little bit about the paper? Sure. So in this study, we take bird occurrence information from eBird, which is one of the world's largest ecological citizen science programs, to document how a large and diverse collection of bird species, in this case, 230 species across seven dietary guilds, associate with vegetation greenness across the annual cycle within the Western Hemisphere. All right. That sounds like a really impressive data set. And you use data from the eBird uh, Citizen Science data platform. What is eBird? And have you used data from this platform before? Yeah, so eBird is a program run by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. And it's currently one of the largest ecological citizen science programs in the world. It allows bird watchers to enter the observations from any location, any time across the globe. And uh, we've used this data quite a bit over the past 10 years or so. It was, it was initiated in 2002, and after about 2006, it really started increasing in popularity. And we've done a wide variety of different kinds of studies, both applied and basic ecology. Cool. And why did you choose to use eBird data? Was there any other way you could have done this? So to, yeah, So initially, looking at these kinds of questions related to bird migration, you had to focus on larger bodied species where you can attach tracking devices. So these early phenology studies often use geese. They're large bodied, they're relatively easy to catch. You can attach a large tracking device to them. But if you wanna look at these questions for smaller body species, like uh, warblers or hummingbirds, it was very difficult. So the advantage of eBird and these other programs is that they're large scale. In this case, eBird is global in extent. And we have occurrence information across essentially all the species. So all 11,000 species, essentially, allowing us to look at questions with a level of taxonomic, spatial, temporal detail that was not really feasible before. Yeah, I, I know a little bit about these uh, tracking projects where people have tagged specific birds. And they're usually only like you have a couple of individuals that you're able to recatch and get the tags from. Um, at least that was how it used to work. I think maybe now they're digital senders on them. Right. And here you're looking at 230 species. So being able to catch enough individuals with a tracking device, that would have been impossible, right? All right. So it's not really feasible to replicate this kind of study at the individual level across the entire population, across the full extent of, of your distribution. So is this uh, something that you think is a good thing about citizen science? I mean, what are the strengths and weaknesses of using this type of data? Yeah, so that, that's a key strength. It's, uh, it's really comprehensive. You're not limited by factors like body size. So that's a key strength, especially um, with birdwatching, which is a global pastime. So we have data coming in from all regions of the globe, and it's, it's fairly continuous data. And the database is growing. Every year it grows about 30%. So it represents an incredible opportunity to look at these questions from a very different perspective from traditional ornithology. But of course, a weakness is that often these databases are unstructured. So the data just keeps coming in. Often there, there isn't a lot of information that goes with the observations. But eBird is unique in that we do promote observers, including 
effort information, uh, which is key to controlling some of the, the structure in the data, allowing us to make better inferences. Right. I think eBird is probably one of the data sets that's being used the most in these citizen science studies. And particularly because these weaknesses of citizen science are often brought up in review processes. Is that something you faced when you were publishing this paper or something you thought about before even using the data? Yeah. So, yeah. So every paper and proposal that that's the key weakness brought up is that the data is, uh, is not like traditional data, which is often very structured, uh, following rigorous sampling protocols. Uh, but here with, with eBird, um, there, there's sort of a spectrum of levels of control you can apply. So the most rigorous is, is using distribution models where you fully account for all of the effort covariates. Uh, and we, we've developed some fairly rigorous models, modeling species distributions using eBird data. And then there's there's efforts where you just focus on the occurrence information. There's so much occurrence information in eBird that, in a sense, you're you're sampling these populations to completeness. Um, so we have millions of observations in some cases for individual species. So you can provide very comprehensive representations of where these species occur across space and time. And I know in in your paper you also went through a rigorous sorting process where you sorted out birds with the or species with missing data and. Um, in some cases, there were some dietary gills that you weren't able to to look at because there were not enough species. Right, right. So you can do a lot when you're doing your studies by also looking at the data critically yourself and not just accepting everything that comes in. Exactly, exactly. So, so it involves some initial steps uh, before you use the data to sit down and think about the kind of question you want to ask and how best the data can be used to address that question. And there's there's a paper of best practices in eBird, which is uh, which is uh, currently in review that outlines many of these these issues. Cool. That sounds like an interesting paper. It's in review right now. It's in review. It's on. Uh, there's an early version of it on BioRex. Is that what that's called? Yeah, I think so. Okay, well, so you can, you can Google that. <laughs> Great. And when did you first uh, become aware of the citizen science tool or? the methods of citizen science? Yeah, so I, I came into ornithology later in my life. Initially, I was, I was uh, interested in plants, <laughs> but then I developed an interest in bird watching. And uh, from a master's work, I focused on two raptor species, but I wasn't, very, I wasn't satisfied with looking at just two species. <laughs> so I discovered the Breeding Bird Survey, the Christmas Bird Count, which is sort of an early citizen science programs in North America, which allowed you to look at broad scale questions in, in avian ecology. And once I started working with those, I discovered eBird, which allows for even larger scale assessments. And just the, just the, the, the novelty of looking at these questions at, at continental or global scales is really appealing for me. Cool. I got a little bit sidetracked by the fact that you said that you started out with plants and then ended up with birds. Right. What was the cause of this transition? Um, well, yeah, so I, I majored in botany initially, and then I was working, I was a field ecologist for about 10 years. And I worked on a wide variety of different projects, worked for the fisheries, for the forest service. And uh, over time, I developed an interest in birds. Started with seabirds and then raptors. And over time, uh, those questions just became more, more appealing for me as a scientist. So have you ever participated in these citizen science projects yourself? Yeah, so I, I've, I've worked on a Greening Bird Survey, Christmas Bird Count, I've done eBird. The appeal is obvious. You know, it's, you're, you're doing something that is, is, is enjoyable. You're, you have species that are very easy to observe and often very colorful and their behaviors are interesting. 
And at the same time, you're writing data that is, is actually very, very useful. So you, you have this unique opportunity that you are both able to participate in the projects as every other person, but you're also able to go in and use the data and the outputs to, to write science. Have you talked with other people who have just been on one of these sides and what are their sort of impressions of participating? Do they think it's valuable too? Yeah, I think it's it's really captured people's imagination. It's it's uh, it's interesting interacting with as as this this is science initiative grows and it's it's becoming very popular across a wide variety of different fields, not only ecology, but it really captures people's imagination. It's exciting seeing seeing their their interest and their enthusiasm. And the lab does a lot of good work to broadcasting the products that we develop in in a, in a fashion that people can really understand. I guess that's also important. People feel like they're getting something back and they can see that their efforts and their data is being used for something. Right, right, yeah. Is there any sort of one experience in citizen science or in your work where you're like, this is a good story about a person that you talked with or something you experienced in the field? Or, Well, I think um, we had a project in California where we used eBird to look at migration timing for water birds. And that information was used by the Nature Conservancy to help them regulate the flooding of rice fields. And there was, there was a direct connection with, with the farmers, direct connection with the bird watchers, direct connection to policymakers. So there was broad network of connections that were developed to do something relatively simple, when to flood a rice field, which they do anyway to help promote decomposition, that would best benefit migratory birds as they're moving through the region. So things like that, where you, you're developing all these interesting connections across, you know, scientists, policymakers, people who work in agriculture, that generates a lot of enthusiasm and also generates lots of benefits for, for natural systems. Wow. Yeah, that's, I guess, really what we're all striving for within citizen science is to get these connections between scientists, policymakers, and people who are affected by nature or work with nature or, like you said, agriculturists to get them all connected and, and see this go into like some higher meaning. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you've worked on quite a few citizen science projects. Is there any of them that's your favorite citizen science project? Or if you could just design a project on your own, what would that involve? Oh. <laughs> it's a big question. Yeah, a question. Well, uh, well e- eBird, of course, I, I think that's because of the extent of eBird and, and, and the value I've been able to extract from it. That's, that's, my, my favorite. But the Lab of Ornithology has quite a number of different programs. They have Nest Watch, Great Backyard Bird Count, Celebrate Urban Birds, Project Feeder Watch, all of which are sort of following the same pattern and all focused on more specific questions. Uh, I think I think the one thing for me that is sort of a gap is that people who bird watch, they, they want to see species that are interesting and exciting and often overlook species that are less interesting. So, and this is something we, we try to promote with eBird participants, is that they document all the species. So even the boring ones like uh, pigeons or doves or uh, house sparrows, house finches, things that are, uh, in some cases, introduced species that are often overlooked. So all that information is valuable, even species that are, are introduced or associated with, with urban environments. Do you think people are catching on and are starting to register these, I guess, more boring species? I know some people might not think they're boring, but... <laughs> well, we've published quite a number of studies looking at urban systems with eBird. 
And that's and we're trying to emphasize the importance of since the majority of the bird watching occurs close to urban areas where people live, of course. So eBird is actually a fairly rich resource for urban bird ecology. And we can increase that even more by encouraging people to document all the species they observe. So one thing I've experienced working with citizen science myself is it's very hard to get people to document what they don't see. Right. People will register what they see, but the, the non-sightings are hard to get. Is that something that you can get through eBird? Right. So we can you can infer absence from eBird. So we have a field in the database called complete checklists. So we, we ask people, did you document in the database everything you heard or saw during your birding outing? So we can infer if, if there's enough sampling effort and if the observer says they've recorded everything, that things they did not record, they could possibly be absent. Okay. I think that's really cool. That's uh, something that a lot of citizen science projects need. Mm -hmm. Finally, what do you think is needed to move the field of citizen science forward? Well, the thing is, I've been, I've been working with eBird for 10 years now, and it's taken a long time for scientists to appreciate the value of the data. And I'm still kind of waiting for the, the momentum to build. So I think, there's, uh, I think more people need to get involved in the field, begin exploring the data, even though initially it can be quite challenging because it's, the data is, is very large, it's often noisy, and it's not what you're trained to work with, typically. But I would encourage scientists to, you know, to start exploring the data set and uh, looking at how people have used it in the past and, uh, and begin to sort of look for some interesting questions. Because the thing is, the big challenge with eBird is focusing on a specific question. Because once you get involved, you realize there's a whole spectrum of questions that can be asked because it's so novel and it's so comprehensive. And it's trying to focus down on something that is manageable can be challenging. So the work I've done is, is I've just done a, sort of a broad spectrum of different questions, just touching on different topics, hoping other people will get excited and, and take up where, where I've left off. All right. It sounds like there's a goldmine of, of data there. You just have to pick the one question that you want to focus on, and that's the challenge. Exactly. In that many other cases, the challenge is getting the data, but here it seems like it's almost offered on a silver platter, right. but with some work to sort of sort through it and find the, the relevant data and the right question. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Is there anything you would like to add here at the end? Well, something we'd like to emphasize is that this is all volunteer-based. So there's thousands and thousands of volunteers across the world who are devoting many hours to going in the field and compiling these observations. And without, those, without these volunteers, this, none of this work would be feasible. That's amazing. So thanks to everyone who put in data in eBird and all the other citizen science projects. I think quite a few papers would not exist without exactly. them. Well, thank you very much, Frank, for joining me today. And uh, everyone should definitely check out your paper. I certainly enjoyed reading it. Yeah, thank you. My pleasure.